Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Backstage with the Gordon Briggs. Tales from the stands to the batter's cage. The kind of stories that'll keep you engaged. Backstage with the Gordon Hi, everybody, and welcome to Philly's Backstage. I'm Tom Burgoyne, joined once again by John Brazier. And, John, we have another legend in the booth. Oh, God, legend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we like, don't throw that word around loosely, You're, you're hearing that voice right there. You've heard that voice for many, many, many years in Philadelphia. Yes. It's a voice, Tom, because we graduated high school in 83. Yeah. It's a voice that carried us through our junior and senior year. Our formative on years. WMMR, part of the morning zoo. I'll use the word legendary. The legendary John DeBella. What's up, John? Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, well, well, you know, I was uh, I was telling you I was recently talking to Cataldi, and I asked him how he felt about being referred to as a re- as a legend, and he said uh, it's another way of saying old. <laughs> All right. But then I told him, and I only recently, uh, you know, uh, okay, I'm not the most literate person on the planet, so I decided one day I said, you know what, I'm sick and tired of this le- legend stuff. What the hell does it really mean? All right. When somebody says you're a legend, what does it mean? And actually, now I'm comfortable with it because legend means it's someone or something that has multiple stories behind it. And I went... That's me. <laughs> That's why we have you. It's always good to have someone on the podcast that has multiple stories behind it, uh, right? And and uh, and I have two friends. My friends, uh, uh, Adam. I think you may have met Adam and and Howard. We go out drinking every Friday night, and they are constantly running legend jokes. It's like if we're waiting for a table, don't they know that you're a legend? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <crazy. laughs> right? You know, when it, somehow it always manages to come up. Tell them you're a legend. No, <laughs> just don't do that. And actually, it started long before I retired, because when I got to MGK, and I'm convinced it was Kevin Gunn who did this. Yep, the Gunner. Uh, we, we, uh, uh, Tom Gunner. and I both love, love Gunner. Gunner. <laughs> All right, uh, but Gunner, uh, I think he did it. And he never admitted to it, but uh, I, I, I'm using the company phone. You know, and you, you when you get a new phone, you got to program who you are, where where to call. I'm out of office, all that stuff, and and it should come up when I call somebody else within the company. It should come up as John DeBella. Uh, and I call someone one day and they go, the legend. Oh, ah, you programmed Why does that. it say the legend? And, and, and I went to her, I don't know, what are you talking about, the legend? He says, <laughs> says you just called me and it says the legend. So it started, I was a legend and it came out of, I, I had retired and then I, I was coming back into radio and, and every article that got written 
right, started legendary morning man, John DeBella, <laughs> and I guess that's what made him do it. Hey, John, we're, uh, I had, I think I told you, I texted uh, Braze today and I said, hey, we got to do the show in the, in the, in the radio booth, you know, because- I'm uh, so glad you yeah, brought it up. I'm like, because John will think this is so cool. What do you think, sitting here, and, and also, you know, if people don't know, you retired uh, this past summer after 48 years in the business, 41 of which were in Philadelphia. Uh, hopefully, you're, trying to, you're getting to some Phillies games. That's my hope. Oh, Oh, no, no, no. Well, I, I told John, I came to, I I can't remember who it was. Came uh, to playoffs? Uh, no, I came to playoffs, yep. but, but it might have been, it was somewhere in the middle of the season. Uh, it was when you were doing the broadcast that day. And... Um, that's right. We had him on as a yeah, radio yeah, guest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, I, I think it, it might have been San Diego. Right? And I'm sitting at the game, and we're in a box that a friend had. And John comes up to me, and he goes, how you doing? I said, I'm having the greatest baseball experience of my life. I said, I have never enjoyed a game more. I've got to do this more often. And he goes, you know why? And I said, why? He goes, because you're not working. I was in a box. I was alone, you know, with some friends. The people in the two boxes next to us had no idea who I was. And I got to just sit there and Mm. enjoy the game. I went through a bag and a half of peanuts and I was the happiest man on the plot. And we put you to work because that was not work. You're there as a civilian, but we put you to work a couple times. One, is you saying take me out to the ball game? That, uh, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now was that nerve wracking when you did that? <laughs> no, no, no. Here's here's here was this is and and God bless. Uh, what's it? oh God? I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Dan Baker. Dan Baker. All right, because I I go out. I'm going out on the field, and it is my 60th birthday. And I'm really not keen on the idea that it is my 60th birthday. And I said to him, I said, look, don't say anything about my birthday. I don't want anything. Else. And he goes, okay, fine. All right. And I go out and 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 I have a kazoo with me because it's supposed to be. I just wrote down kazoo, but go ahead. That's so funny. You and your kazoos. I have a kazoo with me because it's it's 80s flashback night. And yes. that's why I'm yes. there. And, yes. John, and John asked me, he says, do you want to throw out the first pitch or do you want to sing Take Me Out to the Ball game. I said, take me out the ball game beyond a shadow of a doubt. Which normally, uh, like ninety nine percent would say, I want to throw out the first pitch. Right, right, right. I know. All right, because you know, I, I, I would do, I would do a, a, uh, you know, I would do a, a whitey ball on someone's head, foul ball thing. All right, you know. So, so I decided, no, no, take me out the ball game. This is what I want to do. So I go out there, I start singing, and, and, and when you stand on this field and get that view, the view that the public never gets, it is, it's so different. It is so, so different. And I love this park so much. God bless the man who designed this park, all right? But I'm out there and I'm just, I'm just freaking. I'm over by third base, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm singing the song, and, and, and it ends, and Dan Baker goes, ladies and gentlemen, John DeBella celebrating his 60th birthday. <laughs> so I hid it from everybody until I got here for the 40 some odd thousand that were in the stadium. <laughs> hey, can I go back to Kevin Gunn? Because Kevin Gunn, I don't know if we ever talked about this, Tom, on our podcast, but Kevin, a long time ago, 1996, mm-hmm. right? It was, we had the All-Star game here right. or at the, at the vet. And uh, Steve Carlton was the spokesperson, which is kind of ironic because Steve never spoke to the media when he was a player. So (laughs) I was uh, setting up a radio station run with Steve Carlton, and I'm thinking, obviously, going to go to the traditional uh, 
sports station, right? right WIP. Right. But then I wanted to mix in some other music stations. So I said to Gunner, uh, this is back in MMR. I said, can you think of um, who should we get if we're going to take him to MMR? Is you know Matt Cord is was young at the time, and young, and Matt was kind of the sports guy then. Right. And should, should we do Matt Cord? He said, no. He said, I've got a better idea. I think we should. I think we should bring Steve Carlton into the studio with Pierre Robert. Oh my and, god! And all of a sudden, I'm thinking like Pierre. And my and my initial thought was Pierre Robert doesn't know anything about sports. And then all of a sudden, we both look at each other, and, and I'm like, Kevin, that is genius. That because they're they're two basically this you know the same person, but one doesn't know anything about sports. The other person probably doesn't know anything about music, right? right so right. so we bring, bring him to a coffee shop. They were doing a live remote from a coffee shop. Uh-huh. I brought Steve in there, and Steve's talking about the zen of pitching, and he's talking about how he you know would dig his arm into this thing, thing of a trash can of rice, and it was all about karma and all about blocking out all the sensors, sensory overload, all whatever. He's going into all this very flowery talk. And Pierre's like, yeah, man. He goes, I tell you what, too. One of my first broadcasts, it was in uh, Philmont West out in San Francisco. And, and I was the Almond Brothers. And I'm in the stall trying to get within Zen and all this stuff and karma. And then some lad uh, uh, started, proceeded to get sick in the toilet and it ruined my karma. <laughs> and Steve's like, oh, bummer, dude. And they're like, they're, they're bonding. <laughs> they were even bonding. They, they literally would normally have nothing to, you know, in common. But they had everything in common. And it was one of the oh. most legendary interviews ever recorded. And oh, Kevin Gunn God. set that one up. So oh, sorry. I had interlude with That's that story. Do you, John, do you have a favorite interview? Oh, God. I'm sure you've been asked that a ton of times. I, 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 you probably I, have a hundred of them. Yeah, yeah, Jerry yeah. Seinfeld in it. When Seinfeld was a nobody, uh, there was a, a lot of people who were on the show when they were nobodies. But uh, and down and out, you know, anytime I'm asked this question, it always comes down to the same interview, which was uh, Pete Townsend in 93. All right. Uh, the Who were not together at the time. They hadn't broken up and they hadn't done 50 farewell tours yet. Right, but but they were not performing at the time, and everybody knew they weren't. Pete was in town. He it was the psychedelic tour, and he was playing at the Tower Theater. And I was doing afternoons at MMR at that time, and I was supposed to, you know, he was supposed to come in, but something got in the way, and his manager calls me. He says, "Look, he said Pete's not going to be able to make it this afternoon. Could we do it after the show tonight?" So I'm like, "Okay." So I go to the Tower Theater. I watch the show. The show's fantastic. The show ends at about you know, 10, 30, quarter, 11. I head to the station. I'm waiting for him. About 11, 30, quarter to 12, he shows up, and we start to talk. And as he's coming in, I had up until that time, I had done maybe uh, probably at least four or five interviews with Pete. So he comes walking up. I smoked at the time, and I'm standing outside, and I'm smoking a cigarette. He comes walking by, and he just goes, I know you. This is going to be a great interview. I'm like, okay, I got that going for me, right? So uh, he recognized me, and, and I think what made him really comfortable that night was the fact that he realized I wasn't a guy who was going to sit there and ask him, when are the who getting back together? I wanted to talk to Pete. So we sit down and we start to talk, and it is, oh, God. I mean, we started about midnight, and we go on till about 2 o'clock. In the morning. Wow. Right, right. And he, he's, he's answering all my questions. He's telling great stories. We are literally, I am sitting to him like, like uh, I'm sorry for you people listening to this, like I'm sitting next to John. We are knee to knee. Yeah. Right? And I hand him a guitar at us. And, you know, he starts to noodle with it a couple of times. And slowly but surely, he's working his way into Pinball Wizard. Mm. And now he starts to play it. 
and I uh, here I am. Townsend right in front of me. We're knee to knee. He's playing pinball wizard to me. I'm the audience. Nice. Now he gets the part right where it's just well play this ball. He's going on, and then he gets to how do you think he does it? Right, and then the 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 you know uh, Pete actually is the one who says in the song, "I don't know." Right, and then Roger goes back to what makes him so good. So he gets to that point, and he goes, "How do you think he does it?" And he and he looks at me, and he goes. <laughs> You're supposed to go, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. know. Right, 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 right. <laughs> like, I'm going to in, in, interrupt Pete yeah. Townsend to add to the song, right? And then he continues the song. And Did you say it? Well, no, uh, no, no, no. I just got yelled at by him. <laughs> right, right. And, um, and, and he finishes the song, and we go on. And I had arranged, there's a restaurant, or used to be, I don't know if it's still there, called Felicia's on 11th Street in South Philly. And I had arranged... For the restaurant to stay open, the whole crew and the band had gone there from the show. And then when I was done with Pete, I took him over uh, you know, to, to meet them. It is 3 o'clock. But we get to the end of the interview. It's about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I said, uh, and I start wrapping it up. And he looks at me. He goes, he says, I could keep going. And I go, I got nothing else to right, ask. Right. Yeah, right, yeah, you yeah. Know? So, so we get to the restaurant. And it's you know, 3, 3.30 in the morning. And I am sitting there. And I am drinking with my idol sitting across from me awesome right and he wasn't supposed to be drinking that was after he you know mm. you know went into rehab to stop it's the alcohol problem but he he said beer isn't drinking <laughs> my kind of guy right, you know? he, he should talk to my wife <laughs> so and and, and it's just it, to this day i can just see that of me being there he's he was my musical idol from if it wasn't for the who i wouldn't be in i would have never gotten that's, into rock and roll that's but, and, mm. and here you got tom who's basically uh best friends of the fanatic who's had jimmy buffett sing into his snout <laughs> and then you're telling me that story with pete townsend right i'm feeling a little small over here uh have you ever had an interview that i'm sure you had throughout all your years that was contentious or really awkward uh, uncomfortable oh that, many times Many times there, there, there are two that, that come to mind that are just, they were so weird. One was Sandra Bernhardt. Okay. Remember her? Mm, yeah, right? sure. This is when she was at the height of what she was doing comedy wise. And we decided to do a live broadcast from, um, was, was it? No, Enchante was the, was the club in Jersey, mm. right? Uh, what was the one that was in the, um, in the Warwick? In the Warwick. Yeah, uh, Elan. Elan, yeah. all right? Yeah. So we decided we we're going to do it at Elan, all right? And and they have a breakfast set up. We've got a room full of listeners. She comes in, and we're doing the show. And we're, you know, we're only going to do like like two hours of the show there. We're going to do it from, you know, 7 to 9. And she was going to be on in the 8 o'clock hour. So they gave the you know, the listeners a chance to be there with the, with the whole morning zoo crew. And then she came in, and we would start it. And she decided that it would be funny if she would be difficult on everything we hmm. did. Oh that was when a whole bunch of comics were, you know, toying with the idea of, you know, uncomfortable comedy. Right. And you, do right? you not know this? I do not know right. this, right? And she is just being contentious. She is just like giving me one word answers. She's being, she's really being obnoxious, right? And she finishes, you know, we, 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 I, I see that like, okay, let's break, all right? And we go, and I thank her very much and she leaves and we go back to the studio. It's the only interview, it's the only thing in, the, in my entire career 
that I ever apologized for. Mm. I was I was so apologetic for the, to the audience. You you deserve better than that. I am sorry for that. And, you know, I I should have never booked her. Blah blah woof woof. Then there was oh, I can't remember the comic's name. Uh, he had he had a, he had a Comedy Central show. Oh God, big tall guy um but it's usually the comics that are the difficult ones yeah yeah well, so it's I, not the athlete or the musicians or the actors no 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 it was uh, and and he came in he had a hoodie on and a wool cap and he put the headphones on and he did the entire interview looking down at the countertop mm. so he was Jeez. answering me but but he wouldn't look up he wouldn't be was there he, was no was he funny at least he, he at times right. at times oh god i wish i could remember his how about name. athletes who are some of your favorite athletes that you've interviewed because i know you've well, well, through me you've well, done well, a bunch well, yeah, well, I, i've done i've done a bunch through you um uh probably mike tyson mike tyson and i became very friendly this is Mike Tyson before he went to jail. Right. All right. Uh, I was I was at every Mike Tyson fight. I was, huh. I, 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 he was on my he was on my TV show. All right. Uh, he came in. Uh, I actually beat him in a boxing match. All right. They, we we had a giant. Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Uh, I was going to say, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and, and I, I knocked his block off as I said in the game. Right? Uh, but, uh, and I always wanted to be, I always wanted to be that guy who stood in front of the, the boxer with the two yeah. pa- pads on his hands yeah. and, you know, and, and, oh. and put him up. And he turned to me and said, John, you don't want to do that. And I said, why not? He says, you think I'm aiming for your hand because I'm aiming beyond your hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, right. so I'm going to punch through your hand. He turns to me and says, and he grabs his trainer. And he goes, "Look at these, right?" And the guy's hands were like just gnarled. Yeah. I mean, he made Yogi. He made Yogi Berra's hands look yeah. good. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's. I, I, I interviewed Yogi. Yogi uh, too. Would have, would have, have you seen? Have you seen the new? No, documentary? but I want to watch that documentary. It's on my list. Spectacular. I, you know, it is spectacular. I got to watch that because he yeah. is literally one of the most underrated. I mean, for yeah. someone who's had such accolades and on the field but you know when you think of the greatest catcher you always think johnny bench but yogi Berra with the world series he's won the mvps he's won he was the- he was he had 10 world series rings he had he was he was uh a, a you know a, a, what do you call it um an all-star like six or seven yep, times probably more he, yeah yeah we just you know it was amazing the, the you know the credits this man had for him and basically, because he was such a goofy guy, yeah. they played that up, and they never yes. played up right. his exactly ability. Right, and even some of the quotes aren't even his, but they get attributed to him. Right, right, so, exactly. You know what I mean, so you don't even it know, ain't like, over till it's over. He never said it. Right, it's a contraction of things he yeah. said. Right. <laughs> I, I, but some of the ones, like when they say you should always go to someone's funeral because you want them to come to yours. Right. <laughs> 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 when you come to the fork in the road, just uh, take it. Right, uh, right, right, right. Or no wonder why the restaurant's so. Uh, uh, all right, you can never get a reservation there because there's so many people. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> It's like, okay. John, as Bray said, you know, we really want to love to talk to you about the morning zoo because it really was our formative years, John. I mean, we listen, everybody in Philadelphia listen. Uh, talk a little bit of how, you know, that the concept of the morning zoo uh, it came about and just the incredible uh, popularity and the way it really just took over, you know, And the you had city. come from Pittsburgh. Before uh, that, well, right? no, I was I was back in New York. Okay, uh, I went fr- I went from New York 
to Pittsburgh where the sky is brown and yellow and the plants are as smart as the people. It's not the edge of the universe, but you can see it from there. And then <laughs> and you helped Joan, and you helped Joan Jett get her. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I love rock and, and roll. I, and and I went back to Long Island. That's when the Joan Jett thing started. And then uh, I get a call one day from Charlie Kendall, who was the then program director of MMR, and uh, St- Steve Leeds, who was a, a, a big name in uh, record promotion. You know, was always on me. You got, he says, you got to get out of here. You're bigger than this station. You're bigger than this station. And it wasn't something I wanted to believe, you know? It's just like, you know, no, I'm enjoying myself. I love these people. This is great. Wait, and did you always know you wanted to be in radio? Like, no, that- no, no. My degree is I in- I know you c- went to Hofstra. Yeah, yeah. My degree is in scenic lighting and costume design. Oh. I can sew. Hmm. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Right. <laughs> nice. So, so, uh, so Lisa said to me, you got to do something. And, and he had Charlie Kendall call me. Charlie was looking for a morning man. They had the uh, MMR was going through this revolving door of morning people. They couldn't find anybody they wanted and different jocks from the station would do a week of mornings. Right. And, and this is a highly covered, I mean, MMR is the legacy yeah, station. But, right? but at that time, at that time, remember at that time there were three rock stations. Right. And, uh, there were, was, there was IOQ was a rock station. Yep. There was YSP and there was MMR and there was CAU, which was like the hot hit station, right? So there was serious competition going on. So Charlie calls me and he says, um, "Now, now at that time, remember there was no internet. Uh, we we didn't have VCRs. So if you wanted to." talk about that what happened on that show the night before you had to stay up and watch it and the only way to stay up and watch it was you would sleep in the afternoon so i'm in the middle of an afternoon nap and the phone rings and i pick it up and uh the, the guy says uh john de and i said yeah he goes uh, this is charlie kendall I'm the program director of WMMR in Philadelphia. We have a 6.5 in the marketplace, and we would like you to be our new morning man. Bang. I said, a 6.5? I said, wow, I could get that down to a 3. In the time. <laughs> 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 and he goes, what? <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah. I said, it would be no problem to get you down to a 3. Right? And he goes, you really are a wise ass. <laughs> and I said, that's why you called. <laughs> right. So I came here and I started to do this show. And uh, to Charlie's credit and to Gunner's credit, uh, Charlie took me to the, uh, the free library and uh, we went to the microfiche machines. Remember those? Yeah, I do. Yeah, right? Of course. Right? Yeah. And he brought up he brought up the uh, all of this uh, the past year of the daily news, and wanted me to see the headline of each day hmm. for a year. Hmm. All right, to get me uh, acclimated to the city, and then Gunner set with me and we used to have cards in the studio because whenever you did the uh, the weather you would grab one of these cards and have a town name on it yeah right and you have you, to and you have to get it right, right yeah, because right. if you mispronounce Conshohocken or maybe right. yeah, you lose exactly. your credit exactly. or right, Schuylkill right, right, yeah right, right. Uh, and we're going through the cards and Gunnar always tells the story because he gets to Havertown and I go Havertown and he says he says good he says that's where I live I said from now on it's Gunnerville <laughs> and I never called it Havertown again <laughs> <laughs> but 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 speaking of like addresses, I remember somebody calling in on the show and saying, "I said, where are you calling from?" He goes, "West Oak Lane." I said, "I don't care what street you live on." Right. right. <laughs> right, right, right. He, goes, he goes, "It's a town," and that was the that was the one mistake I made. But the show was doing was was coming along. But when I first got here, I was planning on doing this whole brand new show, and Charlie turns to me and says, "No, I don't want you to do a whole brand new show. I want you to take the show you're doing in New York. I want you to do it here." I went. 
oh, that's a cinch. Right, so I start doing, it, and we're gaining notoriety. But the show was more kind of talk, you know, fun. It, fun it, 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 it was it was a lot music. of music, a lot of music. Uh, me and a bad news guy, and uh, and eventually the news guy, I, 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 he had to go. Uh, one day I'm on the air. He's in he's in a booth next to me. I'm I'm in the main studio. I'm talking about something. I'm trying to, I don't know, a story I'm telling or a, a news bit, and and he is in the news and he's waving his hands and he's trying to get my attention and he's pointing down to the street and he's waving his hands and I'm like finally I finish I go to a record or commercial I go what what the hell was it and he points and says you gotta see this chick oh my god and I was like <laughs> and that day I went in and right. said look yeah, this yeah, is yeah. not working uh-huh. I've got a better guy and we brought in Shark and 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 at that time the show was where the, did you find Mark the Shark we worked together in New York okay uh, he, he, he was my I was I was the morning man but at one point in time I was a production director and he was my assistant when I became the morning man he became the production director and where did you find Pat Godwin was a was like a, he was wasn't a student but he this was this is the name that should not be mentioned but go ahead oh sorry he was he was, <laughs> he was living in a fraternity in the right? basement he, of a fraternity uh, on Penn's campus on Penn's campus but he wasn't a f- student. He wasn't a student or a fraternity member. He knew somebody there, or he performed for them, and uh, they let him sleep in, in, in the in the basement. But uh, Clay Heary, yeah. No, you're supposed to say who. Who? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Clay, Clay Heary uh, found him. And he started performing at the Comedy Factory outlet. And Clay came to me and says, look, I found this guy. I said, you guys should, you should put him on. I think you really find him interesting. So we did. Right? And, uh, and, you know, and, he, and he eventually became part of the show. But when I first came here, the show was called The DiBella Travesty. And uh, and although a lot of people in radio have a problem with research, I love research. I want to know where I stand and what they're thinking at all times, right? And uh, and the research comes back, and we had a new program director, and he had suggested to me changing the name of the show to The Morning Zoo. Uh, there was a morning zoo in Florida where he came from, and he thought, he says, you guys are basically doing that kind of show. That's what you should call it. And I said, ah, no, I don't like that uh, that much, right? You know. And then the research came back, and we found out that the vast majority of people who listened to the station had no idea what the word travesty meant. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's so, go with the morning zoo. So this one day, <laughs> this one day, the show was just out of hand. We were having an absolute blast. It was crazy as all hell. And I said on the air, this show has become more than a travesty. It's an out-and-out zoo. And, if, and that, if that Monday, that's what the show became. Yeah. And that's how the that's how. And I got to tell you, Tom, you, you echoed the same thing, that, again, we were in high school, or, and mm. there was only one station for me, and it was you guys. And I remember it was Nikki Nikki Hoy, right? Hoy, Gonzo course. Fridays. And, yep. Yeah, there is. Uh, this is this goes back to the legendary thing. Uh, all right, uh, <laughs> you guys. I know he's been here, and and uh, he usually goes to Eagles games with Bradley Cooper. Yep. Right. I did not know that Bradley Cooper was from Philadelphia. Hangover comes out. He comes in to do an interview, and because of the schedule, he had to do the interview post show. Right, so he comes in, and we're going to tape it, and you know, run it the next day. And he comes in, and I've got, I've got uh, my people sitting across from me. I'm at the console, and Bradley's to my left. Now there are these three things that 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 notoriety that you get, right? And it's the way you are greeted or noticed. If I'm at a rock concert, there is no hi, John. 
it's right. <laughs> you know and I, i'm doing my best to lay low right you know and and then the the, the second one is the whisper you'll be standing someplace and someone will go it's john debella right? <laughs> right so and then the the last one is this is usually the fanatics the people who are like you know die hard fans and it's the look and there's this look that comes over their face that unfortunately it doesn't work in podcast but this look comes over their face of you know, like, oh, my God. You know, it's like seeing Santa right, for the first right, time. Right. <laughs> right? And I'm sitting there, okay, ladies and gentlemen, this is our guest, uh, guest this morning is Bradley Cooper. He's the star of the new film, uh, The Hangover. Good morning, Bradley. And I turn and I look, and he's doing the look. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And he goes, you're John DeBella. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That. that is so, great. So I said, yeah. And I, like I said, I didn't know he was from Philly. He goes, every day, man, on the bus, oh, before I nice. got on the bus, on the bus, me and all the guys on the bus, we would we'll be late for class because we wanted to finish hearing whatever bit you were doing before we got into class. But wait, so Bradley Cooper, would would that be MGK then? Or is that YSP? That's MGK. MGK, That's MGK. right. I was yeah, yeah, say. yeah, yeah. That's MGK. Ah. Right. You know, so, so I mean, and that was... And, so Bradley Cooper heard your wife's favorite guest on uh, WMGK <laughs> yes. on, a, yes. Month, yes. on yes. a monthly basis. My, my, my wife had three favorite guests, all right? You were number one. You were always number one. Oh, my. Right? Uh, comedian Bob Marley <laughs> yeah. was number two. Two and, comedians. And, right, and, third. And, and the third was another comedian, Vinnie Brand. So three comedians. Right, three comedians. <laughs> John's right. a joker, so yeah, it, yeah, all, yeah. it all makes sense. Yeah, until he walked into our studios. Well, <laughs> so wait, wait, you'll like this, Tom. So I would go uh, into John's studio once a month, and I've been doing it for, again, God, 26 years or so. Right. So uh, I basically, one time... Uh, I guess I, it wasn't you. I got seats for somebody associated with the show or the station. And I guess the seats weren't great seats. And so, right? No, 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 no. All right. Tell me it how. Was, it was Debbie Cowton. She was there collecting CDs for the troops. Okay. Right? And they wouldn't let her into the building. She had to stand outside the building and it was like spring or something like that. So it was cold yeah, yeah. Right? and she had to stand outside the building. <laughs> now he comes to the station and you John basically does, there. he does a quiz for me to, yes. to uh, always have to, so every time I answer a question, and I never know whether the quiz is going to be one hit wonders, whether it's going to be presidential trivia, whether it's going to be geography. Because no there's idea. no way we're going to let him come in and just whore yes. the yeah. station. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you have to work, work for your you. plug. Yeah. <laughs> so it. it's fine. I, I enjoy trivia, right? Yep. Big Jeopardy fan. So. Uh, I go into the studio that day and I find out as I'm walking into the, like, no, 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 no. You're not coming to the studio. You have to do it from the stairwell. So they literally dragged like a cord all the way out to the stairwell uh, because Debbie Calton, I guess, yes, got, wasn't allowed in the building. I wasn't allowed in the wasn't studio allowed at that building. point. Poor Debbie. So uh, I had to do that. Uh, yeah, so, um, and then another one is we used to have, John would come down opening day, right? And this went on for, oh, this went on for 10 this. years. And he had, he called it the blessing of the balls. He wanted to get Major League Baseballs, right, real yeah. baseballs, yeah, yeah. before the season started. And he, he the got The first a, box of balls that first we're going to be. First box of balls. The first box of balls are going to be used in the, in the game today. And he had a priest, a rabbi. <laughs> and a minister. And a minister. <laughs> and the real priest, real rabbi, real yeah. minister. Yeah. And it would be outside in their, in their, out, in their 
what do you, uh, ministry garb. In their garb. Ministry Thank garb. you. I was looking for the right word. I didn't want to say uniform. In their garb. And then he would do a, a formal yeah. blessing on the radio nice. and hoping that that blessing would then propel the Phillies to a World Series. Did it work? Uh, no. <laughs> Probably not. No. Maybe, Put it this way. It might have ended, worked I think one it ended year. before 2008. <laughs> <laughs> it may have worked one year. Well, John, you talked about when you sang Take Me Out to the Ball game, it was for 80s night because uh, there was that big kazoo promotion at the that you know it, what 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 happened? We were trying. It was trying to be the 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 biggest the, kazoo, yeah, right? Parade, or, yeah, yeah. Parade. Or, or was it? I don't. I, I, I don't. Were you know. guys going for a Guinness record? Yeah, I thought it was a Guinness record of maybe take me out to the ball game. I, or I, in all honesty, okay, this is the age and drugs coming in. Right, play. exactly. <laughs> because See, I John, I told you, I, I told Ray today. I, I said John might not remember half the I stuff we bring out. I remember this. <laughs> I, I really don't. I I, I I I remember being out there with a kazoo on my own, but I I, I mean no, we had. Yeah, yeah. If it, if it was done, it was done without. No, not me. here. Like the kazoo parade was. You had didn't you have a kazoo parade? Oh no, no. We had the Louis Louis parade. Louis Louis, Louis, Louis parade. That's Louis what it was. Parade. Yeah, but oh, we did yeah. something with kazoos at the vet. I'm certain yeah. of it in the, the height of it. But yes, the Louis Louis parade was classic. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that no. was a, a that that started as Rhino Records. There was a radio station in California who decided that they were going to do a Louis Louis weekend or marathon or. 24 hours of Louie Louie, and they went out and they found every version of that song you yeah. could possibly find. Marching bands, you know, little children, whatever it was, doing this song. And they put it, uh, Rhino took some of the best versions of it, put it on a, uh, uh, on a vinyl record. I had gotten it, and on the air, I'm sitting there going, oh, folks, you gotta hear this. this is a, and I'm needle-dropping it from song to song to song. And, you know, wherever you pick it up, you, uh, you immediately identify the song, and then it's some other strange version of it. I said, you know what wouldn't it be really cool if we had a parade where you know we had marching bands and everything and they played nothing, nothing. more than louie louie yeah. so i got off the air and it was my habit to always go to the general manager's office because anything i wanted to do he was going to have to approve so it would be better if i pitched him than i tell the program director and then he gives some sort of lame explanation of it and they go nah let's not bother All right so i go in and i would go i would go in his office every day after the show and i literally walk in and go how do you throw a parade and he goes, I don't know. I said, I said, I want to have a parade. Here's what I want to do. So we start trying to get it done, and we needed a permit to do it, right? And uh, they told us no. The city said, no, you can't do that. And uh, our lawyer said, you are preventing them from right to assemble, and that is, uh, that is uh, you know, freedom of speech. You, you can't do this. We will sue you. They gave us the permit. And the first year we did it, we had about, I don't know, we had a marching band. We had a couple of groups. We, you know, uh, it might have been. It was about three hundred people were watching, and maybe fifty were in the parade. The following year, yes, right, three thousand people <laughs> yeah. were watching, and a hundred were in par- the parade. And the one of the last years we did it, we did it up Ben Franklin Parkway to the art museum. And a hundred and twenty-five thousand wow. people yes. showed up to right. see that event. Isn't right. that awesome? Right, right. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Was there a moment, John, like in the middle of the of that run that you had at MMR that you you said, oh, "Okay, we're on to something" because of the hysteria, because you could get one hundred and fifty thousand people to pray. We, was there a moment where you said, "Oh wow, okay, this is big"? Uh, well, the, the, by that by that time, by yeah. the time that that one happened, we were used to it. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, it, it started. 
when we were going to do a week of live broadcast from the Philly Rock Cafe. Was it Philly Rock? Uh, no, the Heartthrob Cafe, which was in the basement of the Bourse Building. And we were still at 19th Walnut Street. And the zoo was really catching on. And we were going to do a week of live shows. And we were inviting people to come down, you know. And the room, if packed, could hold 150, maybe 175 people. All right. We get there. There's a line from the Bourse that goes up to Market down market to 4th Street, Mm. 4th Street over to Chestnut, Chestnut back to, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it, Independence Hall, and then back down 5th Street again. And we're like, oh, God, what have we done? Right? There's no way they're all going to get in here. And this is before we started doing the live shows in Atlantic City. And and it was like, folks, you know, just so many people can get in. A lot of people were ticked. Right, you know, but that's when we realized, oh my God, right, we're on to something here. They they like us. At that time, uh, the audience, one third of the city, which when you think about it, doesn't sound like that much, right? One third of the city tuned in to the show every day. So you could walk down the street and just go, no, no, yes, no, no, yes, no, no, yes. Yeah, so, one third sounds like a lot to me. It does, you know? yeah. It's crazy. Well, you know, it's funny too, when you when you do all the live remotes el- elsewhere, and again, I've done a radio show on you know, mm. WBCB, Merrill Reese's station, and it's funny, when you say casinos, when you do a radio show at a casino, right? Because I'm sure you've right. done a bunch yep. of them. The funny thing is, Tom, is that you'll do it and you'll have, you know, the, you have the engineer, you got uh, your co-host, you got the, you know, that says the radio station banner on the front. You know, you, you can't not see that it's a radio station. Right, right. And you'll have people walk yes. up to you yeah, yeah. in the middle of talking, whatever, I'm talking baseball, you're right, right. talking music and they'll say, excuse me, can you tell me where I cash in these chips? <laughs> and you're looking at them like you're, you're in the middle of talking about with a headset on, right. right? I mean, the people That's are the nuts when you're doing, you're doing it. Live remotes. Uh, no, it, it really is. They were, but when we started to do the shows in Atlantic City, right, um, we started at the Atlantis, and then we went to the Trump Plaza, and we were there for years. Right, and when we started doing those shows, right, the room held 800, and 3,000 would mm. show up. Mm. Right, So what we would do is, and this is in the middle of a live broadcast, the people who came in first... They got to stay for the first two hours. And in the course of two songs getting played, we emptied the room and brought in anybody else who was still outside. And then, you know, and if you wanted to stay and there was still room, you could get back online, right? But, and we would do that every single day. And were were stations doing that? Were they doing live remotes like that with a big audience? No, not like that. Because that's that's kind of... New, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, not, not yeah. like that. And, and you know, and we had a band, and we had right. we had three comics and three musicians on every show. Yeah, right, Ooh. performing live. Flaming so, Caucasians. I remember right, right. they yeah, were the a big house Caucasian. band for you. Right. Uh, and a big one too, John. And I remember when this was going on, you led the charge to try to get the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to Philadelphia. Yep. Uh, 30th Street Station, right? There yep, was a selection there. Com- committee yeah. and you greeted them when they came off the yeah, With the, the mummers. Train. We had mummers to mummers. greet them. But that was a huge crowd, right? That, that, that was gigantic. Yeah. That was, and the city did not realize. The mayor actually came on the air to thank us after it was done because the city didn't realize right the, the, how important this was and you know so once we started cranking this up and cranking this up all of a sudden they went oh my god these guys have really got a good idea 
It re- because it, this is my thinking, right? If you're somebody traveling the United States, whether you're coming from a different country or you're coming from a different state, right? Maybe you want to go to New York and you probably want to go to Washington. Well, in order to make that trip, you've got to come through Philadelphia or come near Philadelphia. If the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was here, that is, that's an incredible weekend. Right. You know, you go Boston, New York, you know, Philadelphia, you know, uh, right. you know D.C. What else is there to see? Disney World. Do you th- no, you're done. And you're saying the city was a little surprised. Do you think they were, uh, they didn't put their bets there, foot no, forward no, in no, terms no. of a proposal? No, and- it had nothing to do with that. The, the, it was in the bag already. Was it? It was in the bag already. Uh, it was Did you gonna, know, but you didn't know that at the time. We didn't know that at the time. All right. And, and keep in mind, you know, and, and the thing is, uh, rock and roll started technically in Philadelphia. Yeah, Bill Haley. Right? Uh, Bill Haley with, with, you know, Rock Around the Clock. Yep. And uh, that is, uh, what the hell was the disc jockey? Um, He's from, he was from Chester, right? Uh, no, Bill, Bill Haley. Bill Haley's from, from Chester. Bill Haley was from Chester, right? Uh, but, uh, God, I can't remember the DJ's name. He's one of the most famous DJs in history. Again, old drugs. Um, <laughs> uh, but he was from Cleveland. But the record companies wanted to appease WMMS in Cleveland mm. and Kid Leo, who was the uh, music director. Uh, and, uh, and and politically, that's where it ended up going. And Jan Werner was, was an idiot. He was just, you know. Did he have a, a say in the matter? Oh, he had too much say in the okay. matter. Okay, and he Far wanted too Cleveland much say too? He wanted Cleveland too. They huh. all wanted Cleveland, right? And, you know, and the only joy that I ever got uh, and, and, and it's, you know, I don't like getting joy out of other people's misfortune, but he helped me with mine. So I was very happy to find out when they sold Rolling Stone to whoever it was they sold it to, they had Jan there and that lasted about six months and they went, right. no, you're out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're out. Right. So, um, it's also gotta be cool in your role in your job that you get to see, we talked about Bradley Cooper when he was just coming off hangover. Mm-hmm. But you've had to have a million times where, like the Hooters, when the Hooters are getting yeah. big, you're on the air in Philadelphia, right? Right, right, right. And that's got to be cool because they were, again, just starting. And then, you know, seeing somebody, like how cool is that to, for a music act, a musician, an athlete, or somebody that's, right. again, new coming on your show, and then you see them become who they become? Uh, it, it is great. It's fantastic. But there is this thing that I refer to as the clock of fame. The clock of fame is when somebody, and it doesn't matter what you do. You could be in sports, you could be in music, you can be an actor, right? Uh, when you're coming up, so from 6 a.m. to about, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock, they're all your friends. Around 11 o'clock till about noon or 1, right, it's harder and harder to get a hold of them. 1 to 3, no chance in hell, Right. Four o'clock, you start to hear from them again. <laughs> By six o'clock, they're all on the phone. <laughs> it's, it's and it makes it, it makes sense. I'm not bitter over that. It makes right. sense because when they get to, as they're you know climbing in fame, the demands on them are greater and greater. But remember, I believe you need to remember. Who was there right. when you were nothing? Is there someone, a band or a celebrity that that you started from the beginning that you've stayed in touch with? And are- Joan, Joan is Joan, Joan is, Jett, Joan yeah. is the, the the of all of them, the biggest of them all. Mm. Uh, Pete Townsend, right? um, uh, Roger. To this day, Roger recognizes my face and never knows my name. 
right? Uh, I never, I never met the Ox or uh, Keith uh, or Keith Moon, right? Right. Um, but Pete, Pete knows knows my face and name now. Right? <laughs> also, how how did you you, you have? Um, we're looking at you right now. We're obviously it's not video, but you see your trademark right. uh, mustache. Where did that? How did that come about? My mother, you know, she had the same mustache. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was waiting to use yes, that. Yes, he was. <laughs> well, that's a Sicilian joke, you know. <laughs> a Sicilian woman with a mustache, who ever heard, <laughs> right? Probably has a mole on the face with one hair coming out of it, too. Um, uh, it, it, it started in the 60s. Uh, this, uh, this arrived in about 1967, all right, uh, at the start of a mustache. And, and I went through all of them. I went through, you know, just the ratty little porn mustache, and then uh, then the Fu Manchu, and then uh, and then I had like you know big sideburns, and you know, and, and not that it grew into that. And then when I got into college, I decided to grow a beard, right? And I didn't realize at the time that. I was, you know, when I'm growing the beard, that the mustache was kind of laying on top of it because it was there first. So, so one day I decide I'm getting rid of this. All right, I've, I've had it with the beard. I don't want to deal with this anymore. Right? And I start to shave it off. And you know, when you're shaving off a beard, you start doing it. Uh, oh, look, I'm Abe Lincoln. I do. It it. <laughs> I still do that to this day. <laughs> it still pisses off Jill. Right? You know, all these different things. And then as I'm shaving, and my plan was to take the mustache off as well. But as I'm clipping it down, I'm beginning to realize, wow, the mustache is really big. It's really cool. Right, you know, so and I'm at uh, like today. I'm at a the mustache is at a hand size, right? It's it's due for a trimming, but I don't. I've only met one person. I only had one person in my life ever trimmed my mustache, and she did an incredible job. But I think it is really, really a waste of money to have to drive to Vegas to get another mustache <laughs> trim. And I'm deathly afraid of letting anybody else touch it. When is the last time? What year was it when you did not have a mustache? 67. Wow. 67. How about You've that? had a mustache yeah. since? Ever since. The, the fall of 67. Right. How about uh, that? All right. By the spring of 68, it was there. John, you know, the uh, the radio industry has changed, uh, yep. as you know. I mean, there's so many options now. Do you think you, when you were doing your thing, right up until, uh, you know, this year, but uh, especially in the in the in when you when you were really uh, doing your thing, was that the golden age of radio, you think? Uh, I don't, uh, I, I, like, when I think of the golden age of radio, yeah. I think of long before I arrived. Yeah. All right, you know. You know what I think, and, and I guess, I, and I, I have uh, one thing. Like I always think of American Graffiti right, and right. Wolfman Jack, Jack in, right, in right. that radio booth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and the yeah, kids I mean, are cruising the lane, and they got the radio going. And, and Philadelphia, we had so many legendary, the High Lit and, and Butterball, right, and right, back right. in the fifties and sixties. Is that where you go, yeah, John? Well, well, yeah, or, uh, I, I go. I, I go there. I go back even uh, earlier than that. My my first radio influences were on a uh, AM, uh, you know, an adult AM radio station in New York, W-N-E-W-A-M, and there were these two guys, Clavin and Finch, right? And they were a morning team, and they did you know, some funny bits and stuff like that, but they were a morning team, and I always loved, as a child, I loved listening to them. And then uh, when it got into the 60s, uh, when it got into the, uh, the, late, the, the later 50s, it was, you know, you know, it was, it was the good guys and, you know, and, and all the boss jocks. And for me up in New York, it was uh, Murray Decay and uh, Dan Ingram. And Ingram was a major influence on me. And it was Ingram who really initially planted the seed of me seeing him doing 
a live broadcast. And it was just him in a booth in a shopping mall, <laughs> but he was actually playing the records. Yeah, and I thought, cool. Uh, and I thought that was really, really cool. And then FM came along, and Scott Muni came along, and Jonathan Schwartz, and all these people from WNEW in New York, and those are all my those are all my major influences. I learned I, I learned about timing, right? Uh, I, well, I, I I learned about right personal hooks, uh, you know, like you know, like like you know, um, you know. I never said, and, and this is this is something that that, that that I curse people for, right? I never said Yazoo on the air. When I would answer the phone, I go Yazoo, right? <laughs> and somehow that became Yazoo. I never said Yazoo, right? but but Murray Decay taught me about you know little personal hooks. He it was Murray Decay in the swinging soiree, and he used to talk about uh, you know submarine submarine race watching. Right. And uh, in New York, on the Belt Parkway, if you drive on the Belt Parkway in New York, uh, along the way, there are places that you could pull off and look out at Sheep's Head Bay. Right? And the kids would park there to make out. Right, so he would refer to it as submarine race watching. That's what they were doing. They're out there at night watching the submarine races, which are all underwater. <laughs> you know, so I learned about those, you know, wacky hooks from them. I learned about timing from Dan Ingram, uh, and I learned about how to talk about music from Scott Muni. And I learned about uh, how to tell a story from Jonathan Schwartz. Mm. And I took all of that. And, and again, my intention was never to go into radio. I was going into theater. That was, that was my plan. And one day, some, uh, a friend, and here's a story you didn't ask for. <laughs> one day, I'm sitting with some friends, and uh, uh, one of them turns to me. And I had worked. I did college radio, and all my friends would tune in for it. And, uh, and they said, um, uh, he says, uh, you're an a-hole. I said, okay, you're a friend, I'll bite. Why are you calling me that? He says, radio is the thing that you do best and you're not doing it at all. And I said, well, I said, you know, it's really hard to get in and, and you know, I, I know some people, but, you know, that's not, not really where, where I'm headed. And one of the guys goes, well, he says, I got to tell you something. He says, there's a job opening up at WLIR. I said, really? I said, how do you know that? He goes, I'm getting fired. <laughs> <laughs> he knew he was going to wow. be fired. He's right? finding and, his replacement. Right, right. And, <laughs> and I showed up uh, uh, on the same day that a man who became my closest friend uh, in, in radio and in life, uh, this guy Ray White, the late Ray White, unfortunately, and... Um, and we showed up the same day. He got the full-time job. I got the part-time job. And I was in it ever since. And that was 1970. It was, well, 1976 was when I first started doing radio. But it was 1978 or 9 when I uh, when I started working at LIR. Okay. Right? Yeah. So, so yeah. let's talk about, you just retired, obviously. Right. And you had your last show. June 30th. Uh, June 30th. Uh, what was that, you know, knowing that you've had this long storied career in radio, uh, what was that day like? Um, fortunately enough, for you and your listeners, I will not cry when I tell this right. story <laughs> because I—I I, I mean, it—it—I—I—I'm—I'm I'm a very emotional person, and uh, and I. 
I I cry at the drop of a hat. Well, your co-host Steve Vassilotti said that there's a movie that you can't even get through that you cry so much. What, uh, and I never asked him what the movie was. Gunga Din. Gunga Din. Okay. Gunga Din. All right. Let's do the cry stories first. All right, let's get the cry stories out of the way. All right. I mean, it, it's it, it, sometimes it's a joy. I uh, 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 there was a couple at my house on Sunday night uh, who were from Australia and they had moved back to Australia and I have not seen them for 11 years and the night that we were saying goodbye uh, the the husband and this couple and I became very very close and and uh, just you know love music and love wine and we just like we were, we were two of a kind right? and the night that he left I was weeping like a baby right? and he comes walking in the house and I go to hug him and in no time here they come and just, I, so sometimes, sometimes they're tears of joy. So, you know, uh, sometimes it's just it, my emotions take me over. I've cried at a McDonald's commercial. <laughs> uh, uh, there was a McDonald's commercial about an old guy who got himself a job at a McDonald's yeah. and, oh, was, yeah, and yeah, it yeah. made his life. Right, and, right, and right. It would come on and there yeah, I would just do it. <laughs> but the, 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 it started with this movie Gunga Din. Uh, Gunga Din is, is it was done in black and white. Uh, I think uh, uh, Cary Grant might have been one of the guys in it. There were famous actors in it, right? And um, Sam Jaffe was who played Gunga Din, right? And uh, and do you, if you know the story of Gunga Din, no, the Rudyard no, Kipling, Rud, uh, uh, Gunga Din was was this. This is when the English were in India, and, and there were all these tribes that were trying to you know wipe them out. And Gunga Din was this you know sort of water boy who really wanted to be a British soldier, right? And. Uh, and and in this movie, and he, he oh he wanted to be the bugler, in soldier who was the bugler, right? And in this movie, uh, the British army is coming into this valley, and they are walking into a major major trap. And Gunga Din had been captured, or somehow he managed to sneak in because they all thought he was one of them, right? And he gets up on this parapet of this of this temple, and he starts to blow the you know, whatever yeah. Yeah. charge yes. it is, whatever, yes. whatever, right? And they start to hear it and they realize, oh my God, we're walking into a trap. And now they, sh- now the, the, the bad guys shoot him and but it doesn't take him out and he gets up again and he starts to play again that's boy. Right? and they shoot him a couple of times <laughs> more times and it literally ends with him going <laughs> <laughs> and he kills over right and there he kills over and he dies uh-huh. and then he right? cried right? no no no, no, no. Yet. and then it comes to the end of the movie and they're all around the fire play uh, a fire and um uh one of the guys does his speech of uh uh I have tortured you and slayed you uh, to the heathen God that made you, but you're a better man than I am, Gunga Din. And in it, they superimpose, Gunga Din comes in and it's like kind of shadowy, you know, it's back in the, the old days of, you know, like the way they made ghosts in movies yeah, yeah, yeah. when they were black and white. And all of a sudden, here comes Gunga Din oh. and he is in a uniform right, right, right. as, yes. you know, as an Indian soldier and he does this 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 salute and I am bawling my eyes out. I am absolutely bawling my eyes out. Years later. <laughs> it's a Sunday afternoon. Um, I'm watching. Uh, I'm watching TV, and Gunga Din comes on, and I decide to watch the film. And it gets to the end of the movie, and as it gets to the scene, 
my phone rings and I pick up the phone and it's my father. And he says, are you crying yet? <laughs> right, he was right, watching right. it too. Oh, that's classic. I tell you, the, the, the uh, for me, it's it's just the music from Brian's song, the original uh-huh. Brian song. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That song. music kills me. If I heard it right now, I'd start. Brian's and I'm not, I'm not an overly emotional. We just did a soldier surprise. We do it every year for Fantasy Camp uh-huh, right, in right. January. I've been part of that. And yep, you're exactly right. So we find a soldier, uh, and we so we went down. Tommy Green and myself went down to the Coast Guard uh, station down Atlantic City. And the soldier had no idea. The guy in the Coast Guard had no idea. And next thing you know, uh, Tommy Green gets up there and uh, presents, tells him that he's, you know, make make your plans for January because you're heading down to Fantasy Camp. Fantasy Camp. And here's this big guy. He's got tattoos everywhere. And, and you know, he looks like a tough, you know. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, he starts weeping like a yeah. baby. And I'm, all of a sudden, I started getting like, like uh-huh. right? But Brian's song. And Love Story and a couple other ones. Yeah. Something for Joey, right? Well, always um, uh, uh, Field of Dreams uh, nearly killed me. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Nearly killed me. Yeah, yeah. In, that, in that final, in that final yes. scene. I choked up so much. Yeah. I was trying not to cry. I choked up so much that 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 I I, I couldn't breathe. Yeah. Right. And my wife is like, "What's wrong with you?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, my dad and I never went to the movies together. My mom was down the shore. We had some time and we went and saw this movie. I had no idea it was going to be like right. a father-son thing. My dad's sitting next to me. I'm, you know, I'm trying to keep it together, but that was a killer. That was a killer. All right. Last question before the quiz. Oh, well, I got a question I, well, too. I, so I, we I, I'm just, I, I'm just glad that people who, who you know, tuned in today to find out what wimps <laughs> exactly. the three of us are. Yeah, when Finding uh, Nemo, when the dad sends Finding Nemo <laughs> off to, to school for on his first day, I'm a mess. But uh, go ahead, My John. last question. Go ahead. Then right, I, got I know too. he's got one. Is, you know, I always wonder, you know, this is my 31st year in baseball, that when I leave, right, eventually, uh, will I be watching baseball as much? Will I be coming down to the ballpark? So for you, like, do you, uh, now that you're retired, do you listen to radio? Um... I listen to satellite radio. I listen to a lot of music, right? But I don't listen to much broadcast radio. Right, right. And the reason for it is I immediately go back to work. Right. I start to analyze what they're doing. I start to, you know, you know, criticize what they're doing. I start, you know, and, and it's, 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 an, it, it's, you will always yell at the screen yes. for the rest of your life yeah. for the rest of your life you will yell but but you know uh, but yeah but but you know no i don't listen to much broadcast radio i want to ask you about uh, what makes philadelphia so special and it's and i'm asking this in in terms of you had this 41 year relationship talking to uh uh people of philadelphia and them talking to you uh being or you know having 150,000 people come out to a louis louis parade 125 yeah <laughs> you know our uh, our fans were you know making it national. started at 50 when i first started telling the story <laughs> no, i'm, I'm <laughs> sure there were someone growing up in new york right? right yeah you know but you know we we made national headlines here because our fans were so you know crazy but every time they really step up to the city when there's a big event, uh, you know, whether it's the Pope coming, a uh, convention, you know, the passion, you know, uh, but my question to you is what kind of, what, what do you think makes Philadelphia? Philadelphia? Uh, it's, it's, it's really a very simple answer and it comes down to the people. I mean, when I first got here, I, uh, I, I, I worked at 19th and Walnut street and I lived at uh, fifth and I, mean, I guess the, the, the fifth in walnut, right? And 
I would take the bus on Chestnut Street from 19th down to 5th and then walk the two blocks to my apartment building. And I, 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 when, when I would walk, I, you know, people would be walking the other way. They'd look at me. They'd smile. They'd nod. They didn't know who I was. I was just I mean, I'm talking about literally the first months that I was here. Nobody knew who I was. And there was always this like, you know, and, and people walked with their head up. Coming from New York, people walk with peripheral vision. Right. Everybody looks down at the ground and they're paying attention to what's in front of them, but they're doing it peripherally. Right. And I remember one time going up to New York because I had to record. Uh, I was uh, I was doing a, a weekly uh, a radio special and we'd always record it in New York. And this one time, I'm sorry, I was going to record. I was the going to be the, the voice of Budweiser beer on a bunch of. Uh, television commercials and the agency that we were going to do it at was in the Chrysler building and I had been living in Philadelphia for some time and uh, I went up and I get off the train and I go you know take a cab over to where I got to go and I get out a block early and I'm walking up and I'm uh, and I'm seeing uh, everybody just seems so strange what what's going on here and I I get into the building and it's now even it's it's amplified at this strangeness and and all of a sudden I realize Oh, that's the stress of living in New York, right? We don't, well, we don't have that here. We didn't have that here then. (laughs) (laughs) Nowadays, you really got to be careful of who you look at and where you walk in the city. (laughs) You got to be walking peripherally, but yes. Well, great city. You've been such a big part of it. Now John's going to... Crush you with this quiz. Well, and before uh, oh, oh, I forgot we had a quiz. <laughs> yeah, had a quiz. before I give you the quiz, we can't let you go again. I would, yeah, I know. Look at that Wikipedia. Really? Never, oh, this is and so never tr- bad. And never trust Wikipedia either because I, no. I asked Jay Wright. I, I told I, we had Jay Wright on at one point, not not on the podcast, on a radio show, and I. On Wikipedia, it said he had like 60 points against Malvern Prep. And, you know, I, I, I think I led with that. He's like, what? I didn't have 60 <laughs> points against Malvern Prep. So anyway. Yeah, yeah this is this is updated. They finally got my, my birth year right. <laughs> That's right? good. That's I was good. always a year younger calling Wikipedia. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the visit. Let's get down to business. Now here's your chance to show how much you really know. He might get grumpy if he can't stop you with Brazier's Quiz. Well, John, there again, we go. personally, we go. thank you for having me on your show for all those years. Uh, I consider you a great friend and uh, and a heartfelt thank you very much for that, John. And uh, obviously now you, have you more, are welcome. now you have more time in your hands. I can finally we can grab dinner and do some other fun We've things. We've been trying so. to do this for years. Yes. Right? Uh, here's, I need to know before I leave when you leave for Florida. All right, because that's somewhere between now and then. We've Fe- got to get, end get of get February. End of February. So I have January and, and, and most, mo- of most of February. Okay. All right. So this is an eight-part question, multiple choice. Here we go. We always say you have to get six out of eight to win a prize. Okay. Correct? And, uh, do you have any T-shirts left in that uh, drawer of yours, Yeah, but John? unfortunately, yeah, the only size I have are, are oh. small or medi- not, medium. Not John size. Well. And that's what I need. I need another T-shirt. <laughs> right. You have no idea <laughs> we will how much to, I need a T-shirt. We will go down to the prize closet and get you something if you get six. Six out of eight. Six out of eight. But these are multiple choice about your life. But I did sneak in since you gave me, uh, I mentioned you used to give me a quiz. So right. I, I threw a geography question in there. All right. I threw a presidential question in there. Okay. And I did a one hit wonder question because those are the three okay. categories that I've, you know. You, you've excelled at. Right. So, all right. Your first question is, you are from Queens, right? Correct. You're from Astoria. Right. Uh, which of these celebrities is not from Queens? Okay. Three are from Queens. One is not. You got to tell me who, which one is not. 
Don Rickles, Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, Martin Scorsese. Uh, Don wow. Rickles, Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra, because he is Hoboken, from Hoboken, New, Hoboken, New yes. Jersey. Very good. Boy, some heavy hitters there. All right. Man. You went to Hofstra University, right? Correct. Which celebrity did not go to Hofstra? Okay, I'm going to name four celebrities. Uh, three went there, one did not. All right. Weird Al Yankovic, author Nelson DeMille, actress Madeline Kahn, and director Francis Ford Coppola. I would go with who was number one? Weird Al Yankovic. Weird Al Yankovic. Yes, Weird Al Yankovic went to Cal Poly. He did go to college? He went to Cal Poly. Shocking. Yeah, he's pretty smart. Cal Poly, right? All right, you were two for two. All right, your show on MGK usually uh, ended with Eric Idle singing Always Look on the Bright Side of Life, right? Right. Which is greatest song ever, right, John? All right, well, I'm not necessarily. (laughs) I'll save that for Walk Away Renee. But but you should know this one. Which member of Monty Python, of which Monty Python and the Holy Grail is probably my all-time favorite movie. I know it is. Absolutely love that. Spinal Tap. that is Spinal Tap. Godfather. So which member of Monty Python is American? Is it Graham Chapman? Terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam. Very, <laughs> didn't even need that. Didn't even need that. Yes. Three for All three. Right. Three for three. You're on a roll. All right. Uh, in the one hit wonder category. All right. Right. Who sang the song Shannon in 1976? It was about a dog that oh, uh, that dra- went out to sea. Yeah, it's a horrible you song. Yeah, it's like that really Shannon, Shannon is gone. Yeah. I heard she's I, I, drifting I, I, off I, to I, sea. I am, I am lucky that. enough not to <laughs> right. remember or even well, know Well, here's a multiple song. choice. Multiple is choice. It right. England Dan and John Ford Coley. Nope. Is it Michael Martin Murphy? Is it Gilbert O'Sullivan or is it Henry Gross? I'm going to go with Gilbert O'Sullivan. <laughs> no. no, it's Henry Gross. Yeah, Henry Gross. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But Henry, old, Gilbert but O'Sullivan Henry, sang but Henry "Alone Gross. Again" naturally. Yeah, right, "Alone right, Again" naturally. Right, 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 right. Very sappy song. All right, uh, I'm a sucker uh, for sappy songs. Though. Didn't ha- Henry Gross also did? Uh, Henry Gross was also junk food junkie. Oh, so he's a two hit wonder. Two hit oh, wonder. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't yeah. remember, yeah, I don't remember yeah, yeah. junk food junkie. So it's a one hit wonder. Okay. <laughs> All right, you are three for four. Okay. All right, here is testing your. Uh, this is really fun, actually, because I'm usually on the receiving end of this. <laughs> Which African country is closest uh, to the United States? Wakanda, which is the closest (laughs) to the United States. He doesn't want. He doesn't. He doesn't watch. Well, MCU, MCU movies. No, he doesn't, no. He doesn't watch MCU. There was no reaction to no, Wakanda. No, I don't even know what that is. All right. So, which African country is technically closest to the United States? Is it Western Sahara? Is it Morocco? Is it Senegal? Or is it Algeria? Morocco, Western Sahara, Sahara, Senegal, or Algeria? I'm going to say Senegal because it's an East Senegal's an Eastern Coast country. And Senegal's Western? Well, you know, you're one on Western Africa because it's closer to the United States. Western Africa. Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, right. so Senegal, Senegal. I'll let you think about it again. Western Sahara, right. Morocco, Senegal, or Algeria? Morocco's up here. Algeria is up here also. Senegal is down here on the side. And what's the last one? Algeria. Algeria. No, it's up there, too. Yeah. Algeria's up there. Morocco's up there. Right. Um, your answer Senegal, is Senegal, and what's the which one? Western Sahara, Morocco, Senegal. I'm going to stay with Senegal. All right, it's Morocco because Morocco is up there, and it juts out it juts to the out, west. Huh? Uh-huh. So, I knew, I knew mm. one of them did yes, that. And that was the, tough. And the state that's closest to Africa, the continent of Africa, is Maine. Of all is Maine? So, yes. yes. All right. So now you've, you're, you're all right. You can't lose any more there. Okay. Yeah, but all I'm right? questioning the last one for if, 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 if Gross was a two-hit wonder, then your uh, your question is 
mood. I think. We'll, we'll, we'll see if it comes into play. <laughs> okay. All right. Who is the only president of the United States to later become chief justice of the United States? There's only one president that after his presidency, he went on to become chief justice of the Supreme or of the United States. Oh, is it Martin Van Buren? Is it James Polk? Is it Franklin Pierce? Or is it William Taft? Uh, I'll give you a hint too. It's also the heaviest president. Taft. <laughs> Taft. Taft. I, I thought, it, no, I remember it being, I remember it being a, a, a big man. Yes. Right. And, and, and I was trying to s- literally size up all well, of those men. I, I could tell because Brage, I actually saw smoke coming out of John's ears. <laughs> yeah. At that moment right there. Well, Taft, is, of <laughs> Taft is also the one credited for why people stand for the seventh inning stretch because back then everybody would do what the, pre- the president, president did. somewhere yeah. in public, they would, you know, right. sit down, stand whatever, up, whatever he did. So he, he stood up and everyone stood up and that became a tradition after that. Look at that. How about that? Ready? I know you're a big dog fan because you, yep. you, you did your dog walk. You still do your dog walk? Yeah. Well, well I'm not with any right. radio but station. But you, but you walk a dog. <laughs> I do walk a dog. All right. Uh, so I walk him like this. Open the door. <laughs> right, right, right. Come on back in. This is a hard one. I'll even let you uh, use Tom Burgoyne as a uh, lifeline. Okay. Although it hasn't worked for our guests in the past. I so see. We'll see if this helps you. He is a dog owner. Yes. So uh, what breed of dog was the longest living dog ever recorded? 29 years. So this breed of dog was the longest living dog ever recorded at 29 years. Was it the Australian cattle dog, the cockapoo, the beagle, or the Jack Russell Terrier? Okay, uh, can't be a cockapoo because the dog didn't exist then. Okay. All right. Um, uh, <sighs> so Australian cattle dog, beagle, or Jack Russell Terrier? I'm going to go between, it's got to be between the beagle and the Jack Russell because the Australian is, well, beagles usually get killed by their owners. Because <laughs> they, <laughs> they so feed much. them so much. <laughs> right, right. They go from, they, they go from dog to door, doorstep. <laughs> Uh, Jack Russell, Jack Russell's tend to get killed by horses, right? Um, so then that leaves you with the Australian cattle dog. That leaves me with the Australian cattle dog, so. And you would be correct. All right. There it is. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have an Australian shepherd. If yeah. she's going to live to 29, you can kill me now. I mean, that dog <laughs> is driving me crazy. Oh my gosh. All right. Your last question. Go Here we go. You yeah. need this one. You saw Led Zeppelin at Island Park in Long Island. Correct. Right? In the early 70s. Correct. Right? right? One of the first. Uh, actually, early, uh, late, late 60s. 60s. Late, late 60s. 60s. Uh, and you saw it was at the Crazy House, right? Uh, at the Action House. The Action House. Right. The Crazy House is where they want to send me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or at least my wife does. All right. Which band member is credited for coming up with a band name? Okay. He suggested it to another band member. So it was his suggestion, not the person who approved it. Okay. So who made the suggestion for Led Zeppelin as the name? Was it Roger Daltrey, Jimmy Page, Keith Moon, or John Bonham? Keith Moon. Keith Moon is correct. Bang. He suggested it to Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page took the uh, advice, and, and they called it Led Zeppelin. All right. Look at that. Boom. Yeah, you qualified. Yeah, I did better than you. you yes, you do. Although one hit wonders. He has nothing I, to play. I surprised you on the one hit wonders no, where did. I went like whatever, six yeah, for six. You did. You did. I was pulling them. John, thanks for coming uh, really Guys, and doing you. this, this for great. us. And uh, it's great seeing this you. Enjoy great. retirement. Come right. down to a few games this year. More than a few. Uh, you know, we'd love to see you. I, I, would, I would love to be here. I will be here more this season. So you better be ready. We are ready. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for another edition of Phillies Backstage. We'll see you next time. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks.
stage if we're going in play. 